This is the View from Apollo podcast, an ongoing conversation on alternative investing, economics, and the trends shaping up financial markets. In this episode of The View from Apollo, Chief Economist Torsten Slock speaks with Olivia Wassenaar, Head of Sustainability and Infrastructure at Apollo, about the outsized and unprecedented investment opportunity that is the clean transition. Here's Olivia's take on recent legislative support in the U.S. Climate change is an existential issue. The consequences today are well known. We're experiencing higher temperatures, rising sea levels. The damages from weather and climate-related disasters are in the multi-billions. Last year alone, numbers topped 165 billion, with 18 individual disasters causing more than a billion dollars of damage each. That's wild if you think about it, Torsten. Also, Torsten and Olivia explore their views on the sheer size of the opportunity, considerations to approach the clean transition theme, and the fact that many of the most interesting opportunities aren't brand names, but enabling services and technologies that make the whole transition possible. Olivia also has a great reading recommendation. Make sure to stick around for that. So let's get started. Hello, everyone. I'm your host, Torsten Slock, Chief Economist at Apollo, and you're listening to The View from Apollo podcast. My guest today is Olivia Vassanar, Head of Sustainability and Infrastructure at Apollo. We're here today to discuss what we believe is an outsized and unprecedented investment opportunity, investing in the clean transition. Welcome to the show, Olivia. It's really great to have you with us. It's good to be here, Torsten. Thank you for having me. So let's start out with setting some context. At Apollo, we describe the clean transition as an outsized and unprecedented investment opportunity. That's the good news. I watched your recent class on Apollo Academy on this subject, and unlike a lot of doomsdayers out there, you voiced optimism that decision makers around the globe are finally taking the impacts of climate change seriously. But that doesn't change the fact that the negative impacts of climate change continue to increase in both frequency and cost. This year, for example, seems to have delivered one climate disaster after another. Can you give us some detail on the scope and scale of the problem? Sure. I am very optimistic about where we are heading. Climate change is an existential issue. The consequences today are well known. We're experiencing higher temperatures, rising sea levels. The damages from weather and climate-related disasters are in the multi-billions. Last year alone, numbers topped 165 billion, with 18 individual disasters causing more than a billion dollars of damage each. That's wild if you think about it, Torsten. Well, I love it when you can put some numbers on things. As we try to wrap our heads around this problem quantitatively, what does substantial investment mean? It's a lot. So as we think about it, The investment, what we call clean transition, and I should just frame that, you know, a lot of people say energy transition. We say clean transition because it's not just energy. We think about water usage. We think about the circular economy. We are very much focused on a world that just doesn't involve transitioning on the energy side, but also the broader economy. We look at this and think investments need to triple from 2022 levels by 2030 and need to nearly quintuple by 2050. I mean, that's a lot of money if you think about it. It's going from, you know, $1.6 trillion today to $4.6 trillion by 2030 and $7.9 trillion by 2050. Wow. So the investment needs are going to grow into the trillions over the, into the, the trillions. decade. 
The IEA says the total investment need is $150 trillion. McKinsey says it's $275 trillion. I saw something from PwC that said $1,000 per year for every person on the planet. These numbers, any way you slice and dice it, are pretty massive. Wow, that's an incredible amount of capital. And when we talk about clean transition, we're mostly talking about deep decarbonization which will require significant innovation and changes in consumer and business behavior. How do we even start thinking about this? When we talk about the transition, we are really thinking about this generational shift in how we power our homes, how we feel our cars, how we really think about how we use products, what we do with them at the end of the life cycle. We tend to focus on it in a few different ways. So we have parsed out the needs into a few different sectors, energy transition, sustainable mobility, sustainable resource. And finally, one of the things I find most fascinating and really massive consumer of capital is going to be industrial decarbonization. That's really thinking about how we focus on hard-to-abate sectors and how we help these sectors and businesses achieve the changes they're looking to achieve. Wow. While we hear a lot of climate-related bad news, on the other hand, we also hear almost every day about new efforts aimed at addressing climate challenges. Maybe let's start with what governments are doing. In particular, here in the U.S., there have been two really significant pieces of legislation passed in recent years, the Inflation Reduction Act and the Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act. What has that kind of support done for the transition? It has been a game changer for so many years. And I should say, I've been investing in this sector for 20 plus years. You know, I like to think I was investing in it before it was cool. Really being able to see just one, the magnitude of capital between all these various different acts, also combined with the visibility and certainty. Right. I mean, we had for so many years, we had various different regimes and tax credits we were looking at that didn't have certainty. They were a couple years here, a couple years there. It made it really hard for the private sector to invest. One of the things I love about all these bills that have been enacted in the U.S., which is about $532 billion of federal support here, it gives us a runway. In many cases, it gives us a 10-year period in and around these various different components of these bills that we can invest into. If you're a private equity investor like me, what do you like? You like certainty. You know, you like visibility into a time period and what things are going to look like. Oh, wow. $532 billion in funding across categories of carbon-free energy. That's a very big number on its own, but are there any multiplier effects on top of that? You're right. It is a big number, and it's an impressive one and one we're very excited about. I do think there's going to be a pretty significant multiplier effect here. We think the number based on that could be up to $1.8 trillion. And while we're talking again about big numbers in the whole scheme of things, there's still a gap. And so when we think about this sort of public-private divide, one of the things that we've talked a lot about is what is the role of private capital in all of this? Ultimately, when we add up all the dollars coming in from governments, we think we'll probably see about 30% of all the capital needed coming from governments, wow. which leads to about a 70% gap in funding that's got to come from the private sector. And that's going to come both from the equity side as well as the credit side. Well, uh, those are really big numbers. But as you pointed out, I mean, we need much more than that to get this job done. So outside the U.S. and outside the Inflation Reduction Act, what's been done on the infrastructure front, what are governments around the world doing elsewhere outside the U.S.? I mean, it's probably one of the most talked about topics, if we think about it what various different economies are doing to really prepare themselves for this transition, what the economic opportunities are in the transition. I think from my perspective, the U.S. in a lot of ways had been a little bit of a laggard here. It was 
we were not always cutting edge in terms of policy and otherwise around things like renewable energy and modernization of the grid. When we announced this massive bill a year ago, one of the things I think it did was, you know, it it put other economies on watch. Europe said, you know, my goodness, we thought we were the best innovators and the most forward in this area. And here the U.S. government has come out with this tremendous amount of support. We got to step it up on our end. There's a lot of discussion, too, about how the renewables revolution is redrawing the geopolitical map for key commodities and the supply chains related to those commodities as well. Broadly speaking, are there any implications of this energy transition, anything that is going to have a broader macro impact in your view? I do think you're seeing a little bit of redrawing of the map. When you're looking at where minerals and renewable energy components are coming from, they're coming from a pretty different set of countries than what you saw hydrocarbons coming from. And so as we're looking at these flows, it's really a remarkable difference in this area. That's fascinating. So let's just back up a little bit here. You are heading up our sustainable investing efforts here at Apollo. And I know that we are targeting a deployment of 50 billion in clean energy and climate investments over the next four years and a possible 100 billion by 2030. How are we thinking about achieving that vis-a-vis the opportunities that you have identified? first thing we did is look at what we've done historically. So we've put $23 billion to work over the last five years in climate and transition-related investments. That's a big number and something that we're very proud of. That really happened across Apollo. You know, that happened in our credit business, that happened in our real estate business, our infrastructure business, our private equity business. It came from so many different pockets of capital. But one of the things we realized is we didn't actually have any dedicated pools of capital going after this opportunity. So for us, one of the big components of looking at deployment and how we can really deploy more in this area was trying to figure out, are there dedicated pools of capital that we should be raising to really more proactively go after these opportunities in a more thoughtful and consistent way? And so that, for me, has been one of the big areas I've been focused on over the last year or so, is trying to get the right pools of capital together for the right opportunities. At the end of the day, we're investors. We're just looking for interesting investment opportunities. And everything we're talking about regarding clean transition, it's happening today. I think there are a lot of interesting investment opportunities that exist in the market and a huge capital need. For us, clean transition investing is primarily about, it's about investing, like everything else we do at Apollo. Our job is to figure out the best places in the market to deploy capital. The clean transition is really interesting And it's going to remain interesting for a really long time. That's very interesting. Is this more of an equity or a debt proposition? You know, interestingly enough, it really spans everything we do. It's really across asset classes. I mean, when we think about the transition, it's not a sector, right? It's not a single asset class. It's a theme. It's going to permeate so much of what we do. So, okay, both debt, equity, Debt, equity, real asset, it's it's going to be in so many different areas. And that's one of the things I really like about the opportunity is it allows us to really deploy across the broader Apollo ecosystem into so many different areas and, frankly, into so many different sectors. I mean, we're looking at this both on the power and energy side, but we're also looking on the industrial side, on the consumer side. There are so many different ways to come after this thesis. It really provides a really exciting opportunity for investors. So, and how would you describe this investment theme more broadly? I mean, what is the nomenclature? How do you think about it from an investing perspective? 
I'd say about 60% of what we've done as a firm historically has been in the energy transition. So what do I put in that category? I put in things like renewable energy, biofuels, energy storage, you know, anything really around the electrical grid. That's energy transition. And that's a big part of what we've done and, frankly, a big part of what we will continue to do. But that's not the only part of where we're investing. We're also looking at sustainable mobility, how we think about the changes in the vehicles we use, how we think about electrification infrastructure in and around that. There are many technologies and services around that are investable today. We think about sustainable resource use. So we're thinking about things like, you know, the circular economy, how we think about waste and water management, smart agriculture, sustainable metals and mining, right, to the point before about where these components are coming from. And finally, industrial decarbonization. So that for me, we talk a lot about gray to green. So how do we keep, how do we take high emitters and help them really go through their own transition? That's something that we are very focused on, both on the equity and credit side of the business. Well, and you said that most of the historical investment has been in the first theme, namely energy transition. But what's the breakdown today? Where are the most interesting and sizable investment opportunities coming from across those four different themes? You know, interestingly, I think today we're still seeing the most out of the energy transition, for sure. But I will say we see a real emerging trend around industrial decarbonization. So really working with our corporate partners, working with lots of Apollo's, you know, legacy relationships as, as they think about, you know, how they are meeting their own goals. The ability for us to be able to finance that is really exciting for me. Well, let's dive a little bit deeper into the themes individually. So what energy transition investments, what are the themes? What different things are you looking at? Gosh, we are looking at a lot these days. I mean, one of the things that's really fascinating for me is around the grid, the aging grid in the U.S. We did an expert briefing a couple weeks ago led by Jonathan Silver, who chairs our Climate Council, on what it's going to take to modernize the grid in the U.S. Yeah, how bad is it in your view? I mean, it's bad. Okay. Uh, it's <laughs> <laughs> but therein lies opportunity, right? I mean, we look at the delay in interconnects. We look at permitting. Like, I think there are a lot of things that, you know, my hope is will get sped up, you know, in the process over the next few years. But there are a lot of components to updating the grid that we think will be exciting for us. Is it across the whole country or is there some parts that are a bit better or is it just really not good? Yeah, it's pretty much everywhere. Okay. <laughs> you know, we've had a bit of a changing landscape in this country, right? As we think about power sources, you know, our power sources are different today than they were 50 years ago. I am a big believer in batteries. I think wind and solar have been fantastic, but one of the things that we see is the effects of intermittent power. Yeah. I think the real solution for that is going to be around the battery landscape. So that's something that we're very focused on. We see a real opportunity for gas to replace some of the less clean fuels and how we think about transporting those from one area to another. I think energy transition is such a big topic. We could invest that whole $50 billion dollars really in energy transition alone, but there is so much more even beyond that. And what about the topic of industrial decarbonization? What are the themes, what are the opportunities that you're looking at there? We are looking at a variety of different businesses helping companies change some of the parts of their infrastructure. So, for example, industrial businesses, as they are focused on transitioning to a different type of fleet, What is the infrastructure around that? Can we help companies finance their EV charging build-out? Down the road, as we think about hydrogen as a source, are there things that we can do around that? So we're having some pretty good discussions around where our different pools of capital can be most active and most applicable in these areas. 
And your third theme of the sustainable mobility obviously includes electric cars, and you spoke about batteries, of course, which is a very important part also of that theme. But there are numerous ways to invest in that transition beyond the big brand name. So what kind of interesting developments are happening in EVs? I think we will look back on EV infrastructure and that build out and think of that a little bit like, you know, we do cell towers today, right? I think getting into the prime locations for charging is going to be a big part of the opportunity set here. So really wanting to, you know, frankly, pick the best spots, get into the markets that are growing. We've really liked the European charging opportunity. It's a market that is much more advanced than the U.S. today, you know, and a lot of it has to do with just the layout, how you think about cities, how you think about connectivity of cities in Europe, how you think about availability of things like, you know, like garages, right? You know, in the U.S., we're going to be doing a lot of charging likely in our homes, right? People have garages, you know, the way cities are laid out. So that's going to be a big component. Whereas in Europe, you know, you have old buildings. You don't always have, you know, personalized garages where you can install a charger. So you're thinking about how can I charge in a downtown area? How can I charge at my local grocery store? How am I charging on the side of a highway between cities as I'm on a trip? I do think that opportunity for our type of capital is, at least in the near to medium term, going to be more interesting. So we will have charging stations across the country at a whole different scale relative to what we're seeing today? Eventually, yes. It's going to take some time. It's definitely not happening overnight. I mean, if you have an electric vehicle today, range anxiety is real. So that is going to take some time to develop that connectivity, but it's coming. Okay. And finally, on your fourth theme of sustainable resource use, tell us about that. The circular economy, for example, is a great idea, but how and where is it investable? One of the things we've been really focused on are plastics. My kids come home and they want no plastics in the home. They are actually very versed on how we think about recycling there. We invested in a business about a year ago that focuses on plastics recycling, you know, the thin wrap that goes on packaging. I do think there's going to be a lot to do around the circular economy. That's something that is coming into increased focus. The EU has enacted legislation around recycling and plastics. But, you know, more recently, the U.S. has also introduced some pretty significant grants and programs to increase the recycling rate in the U.S., trying to target 50 percent by 2030. That's going to require a massive investment around infrastructure as well. Well, Olivia, we could continue and keep going here, but sadly, we reached our allotted time. But before I let you go, the way we try to close out our episodes is with a personal recommendation. So what's your recommendation today? It could be anything, a book you're reading, a movie you're seeing, what's occupying your time when you're not thinking about sustainable investing, which I do know that you're thinking about all day long. When I get home at night, I like to relax. And so I don't really read nonfiction. I like a good book. I come from a family of writers. Both my parents are writers. Two of my sisters are writers. My grandfather was a writer. It's, you know, it was such a big part of my childhood. I was a literature major in college. I thought for many years that I was going to be a writer as well, but I always loved math. It was something that I almost kind of had to fight the fact that what I was good at was maybe a little bit different from what everyone else in my family was good at. Everyone always jokes that I was switched at birth because I'm, you know, the only one who's not a writer these days. I just finished The Lincoln Highway, which was a phenomenal book. I'd highly recommend it. I started reading that on a Friday evening and really tore through it over the course of the weekend. Wow, it just shows how versatile you are, both the humanities and math. Well, on my side, what I enjoy doing when I'm not doing what I'm doing in my day job is to watch soccer. 
And I happen to be a fan of Manchester United, and unfortunately, they haven't been doing too well. They do have a Danish soccer player, Rasmus Højlund, who scored two goals recently. So I'm proud of that. But I recommend everyone to find a sport or find a book or something that they really enjoy. And unfortunately, my team is not doing too well at the moment, but hopefully they will soon come back. But thanks so much. We really appreciate it, Olivia. That's a really interesting conversation we have had. And I really appreciate your time. I know how busy you are. So with that, thanks so much for joining us today. And thanks so much to everyone else for listening and stay safe, everybody. Thanks, Torsten. Thanks for having me. And thanks to everyone today for listening. This podcast was recorded on October the 4th, 2023. Thanks for listening. A quick reminder that you can subscribe to this podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Audible, or by visiting apolloacademy.com, our educational website dedicated to alternative investing where you can also sign up to have Torsten's Daily Spark economic blog delivered directly to your inbox. Once again, thanks for listening. As of December 31st, 2022, deployment commensurate with Apollo's Clean Transition Investment Framework, which provides guidelines and metrics with respect to the definition of a clean transition investment, reflects A, for equity investments, one, total enterprise value at time of signed commitment for initial equity commitments, Two, additional capital contributions from Apollo funds and co-invest vehicles for follow-on equity investments. And three, contractual commitments of Apollo funds and co-invest vehicles at the time of initial commitment for preferred equity investments. B, for debt investments, purchase price on the settlement date for private non-traded debt. Two, increases in maximum exposure on a period-over-period basis for publicly traded debt. Three, total capital organized on the settlement date for syndicated debt. And four, contractual commitments of Apollo funds and co-invest vehicles as of the closing date for real estate debt. C for SPACs, the total sponsor equity and capital organized as of the respective announcement dates. D for platform acquisitions, the purchase price of the signed commitment date. And E for platform originations, the gross origination value of the origination date. Apollo Global Management incorporated together with its subsidiaries. Apollo makes no representation or warranty, express or implied with respect to the accuracy, reasonableness, or completeness of any of the statements made during this podcast, including but not limited to statements obtained from third parties. Opinions, estimates, and projections constitute the current judgment of the speaker as of the date indicated. They do not necessarily reflect the views and opinions of Apollo and are subject to change at any time without notice. Apollo does not have any responsibility to update this podcast to account for such changes. There can be no assurance that any trends discussed during this podcast will continue. Statements made throughout this podcast are not intended to provide and should not be relied upon for accounting, legal, or tax advice, and do not constitute an investment recommendation or investment advice. Investors should make an independent investigation of the information discussed during this podcast, including consulting their tax, legal, accounting, or other advisors about such information. Apollo does not act for you and is not responsible for providing you with the projections afforded to its clients. This podcast does not constitute an offer to sell or the solicitation of an offer to buy any security product or service including interest in any investment product or fund or account managed or advised by Apollo. Certain statements made throughout this podcast may be forward-looking in nature. Due to various risks and uncertainties, actual events or results may differ materially from those reflected or contemplated in such forward-looking information. As such, undue reliance should not be placed on such statements. Forward-looking statements may be identified by the use of terminology including, but not limited to, may, will, should, expect, anticipate, target, project, estimate, intend, continue, or believe or the negatives thereof, or any other variations thereon, or comparable terminology.